So instead of like getting overwhelmed thinking you have to like audit all of the pages of the site, you know, start with that homepage. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, back at it again, Design Huddle. Uh, we just hit up 100 subs on YouTube. If you haven't Woo. done so, do us a favor, jump on over to YouTube, smash that subscribe button, upload our videos. It really helps us. We're a small, very fast-growing UX podcast, and all of your help is greatly appreciated. But we have a packed episode today, so let's focus on that. And we are going to be talking about design reviews, which covers a lot of things. But both Mustafa and I, during our careers, we've spent time auditing, reviewing websites. So we're going to peel back the curtain and talk about what our process looks like, find similarities, and also maybe share some other things that he does and that I do differently that we can be more effective in the future. And there's a lot of, just to kind of set the context here, there's a lot of different ways to think about this. For me, a lot of times it would be like, I'm a UX consultant. I go into a company. They're looking for ways to further optimize their site. So what I'm doing is identifying pain points, opportunities to make the experience more seamless, and then prioritizing which features the design and engineering team should focus on. So I tend to find the biggest things, the biggest impacts on the experience first, and then the smaller things, um, you know, that stuff that they, they may be able to do down the line. So we'll kind of talk a little bit too about prioritizing, you know, which features or which, you know, uh, areas of the site to kind of focus your attention on to start because it can be overwhelming to look at an entire web experience with hundreds of pages, if not thousands, if it's like an e-com site, for example. So with that, Mustafa, how's the weather in London? Uh, the weather's amazing <laughs> here. Uh, well, it's been raining nonstop for the last um, couple of weeks. So, But this weekend, which is a, a public holiday weekend, so it means a few more days, or like an extra day. Uh, so it's been like amazingly sunny. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's great. <laughs> compared to what we used to so but i was like uh, ux reviews so a few years ago i was working in a company called digital science and digital science used to um they're owned by there was like a startup but it had startup culture but it was owned by uh, nature magazine or like the the publishers mcmillan publishing they publish harry potter just for a point of reference um that's awesome and so they set up, they're also the science is a big thing for them nature magazine which is a science journal and so we were set up as a digital company to start creating software for scientists. Um, and so they would they would make their own software and also acquire software. And one of the things was they'd get us to do UX reviews. And that's quite quite a hard thing. So we call them UX reviews or design reviews. Um, but obviously without you, like there's like, in my mind, there's two types of reviews. There's a proper um, like user research where you're actually looking at data to see like what, where people are falling off, like the more analytical stuff. And then there's what I think Jacob Nielsen describes as like a more heuristic way of doing a design review where you're looking at the overall app or website and looking for key things. Um, and so there's like t there's an article where he wrote wait, 10 usability heuristics for user, user design reviews. And so we follow that quite religiously as a way because some of these apps will be like um, 
for for like things that which we're completely unfamiliar with like like it's like like software that uh, scientists were using in a laboratory or software that's like when they're doing their studies and it's not something which um you're necessarily familiar with or what the the key things those types of users are but you know what is good usability generally speaking so like if you're trying to use the app and it's asking you to sign up right off the bat where you don't understand what the value proposition is that's clearly a problem <clears throat> um or maybe not i mean sometimes there's like robin hood is the, the finance app um and they have a huge sign up process simply because there's certain legal requirements so that that's the thing with these kind of review uh, rules for design reviews is you have to be kind of loose they're more like guides not rules um and then i started doing stuff on the play store as well and then there's like when i was at big events like chrome dev summit we started doing design reviews which was much more informal where we sit down and you start pulling out things um but we came up with like 12 points of like what we would look for because this one um thing which i've noticed is when a designer is doing a design review, they often focus on the thing which is their specialism. So if they're a visual designer, it'll be all about visual UI. Um, if they're a sort of interaction designer, it'll be all about the motion and like different steps. If their focus is e-com or uh, sort of like conversions, that's the things they'll look at. But all of these, but all those designers will be familiar with all the other disciplines, but because of the baggage that they carry with their career, they focus on those things. So having 12 points as a guide or in um, Jacob's one, 10 points i think is really really handy because it just allows you to remind yourself okay i need to check these things so like stuff we would look at is onboarding sign up flows um navigation <coughs> and call to actions um the visual design branding uh, accessibility you know all these like key things which you could go through like a checklist um but yeah now that I, I found that quite i mean it can be a bit hard like you know quite time consuming if you're doing it properly a lot of screenshots um but that kind of heuristic design review I found was quite helpful and meaningful, and I've done so many. In terms of uh, testing for performance, I mean, obviously there's the um, Lighthouse-type tools that you can use for the web. I'm not sure if there is an equivalent on native, because the web, everything's about runtime speed, like technical speed and performance. <clears throat> for, like, um, usability and, and, like, perceptive speed, I mean, there was some work I did with Red Bull a while back, and they had this app where they wanted the users to comment on videos and sort of the social elements of the app. Uh, and I think I've mentioned this before in previous episodes. And users were being not seeing it because obviously, moving image uh, is quite distracting, and the way the human eye works and the brain, uh, our corpus callosum has been evolved to see things in our periphery because you know it's like predators coming nearby. So anything that's moving. So if you're going to do any kind of um, so like buttons or icons or app or like calls to action on top of videos, they have to be really clear because the the the, the image behind it is moving, um, and obviously, the time it takes people to see it, that's again the perceptive speed is going to be a bit longer. Therefore, you have to make things really prominent. But when you design these things, they look terrible when you design like really bold and and because it can ruin the video. Um, so seeing things like that, like testing the perceptiveness of of speed from that perspective. Um, but again, it's, it's very hard to do it accurately because you're not the user of the product. Um, like there's some things which were culturally learned. Like me and Liam uh, Spradlin from like Google Design in a previous episode, we were talking about uh, how like portal refresh evolved. And we were thinking, oh, maybe it's from like blinds, like, you know, in the window blinds, because it's like that motion of like opening yeah. and closing something is such a weird, it feels natural now. And it started off on the web and then was adopted by native platforms. Um, but yes, like there's obviously cultural things and there's 
we, we've we've had that culture for like seven, like ten years, seven to ten years now. Um, but other people in other parts of the world have not. So how does that perceptive thing work there? Um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, when, when doing these like performance reviews, there's two apps which I like using actually. Uh, they're Android apps, and it only really works for mobile. I suppose you could, if you've got a Chromebook and installed it, you could probably run it on on, on that as well. Um, and the two apps were like uh, accessibility, uh, but which is an actual Google app, which I found um, accessibility scanner. I thought that was really great for like uh, an automated way to just to check your website or app. And um, we can link it in the show notes. And that that was that's a great app. Just it basically runs um, common accessibility things. So like if images don't have like uh, alt tags for like screen readers and whatnot, and the um, <clears throat> if the calls to actions or buttons, link uh, icons or whatever need to be like between I think it's like fifty eight no sorry forty eight by forty eight pixels because it's just like um, the approximate uh, space for like a fingerprint when you're actually like tapping yeah, on yeah. things anything yeah. smaller than that and then it becomes the hit target becomes much harder so accessibility scan is really good just and it just gives you a nice report of all these elements that you need to fix on um, the other one was keyline pushing um, that's made by a developer called Phase Phase Makana Makani. Um, and that basically what that does is it puts a grid on top of the app or website and so you can actually see perfectly where things align and they he uses like the material like because it's an android app obviously um <clears throat> like 16 pixels everything's done in multiples of four or eight but that's just a really nice thing where sometimes you see like things could be aligned um like accurately or optically so like if you see a row of icons it looks perfectly centered but um if you have a circle and a square the same size, the circle will always look bigger. So that's why you have to make it slightly smaller because it's the way the shape of it, the way our, the human eye works, just to make them feel like of a similar size. Um, so that's really, really good, like more automated tool to help you when you're actually doing effective re review. Um, that's what I'd say about performance. Yeah, and I, I think like um, I think the only thing I would add there, and that's spot on, is like I think the takeaway from that is find a tool that works for you, being able to understand it. Even if you're not a designer that like likes to lean into the more technical things, if you're able to provide some front-end feedback of like opportunities to improve performance, it always is like a good place as a start as a starting place. And at least you can just set the expectation that it's like, listen, we can do all of the design tweaks in the world, but uh, you know, we really need to make sure that we have a performant experience. Um, so we'll try to link out some of the tools that, you know, Mustafa and I have used in the past and hopefully, you know, I'd love for people to comment in like, you know, what other tools we might be missing. But the other, the other thing is, is that when I think about like a UX audit and I sit down with all the people that the cross-functional team that I'm working with, the way that I like to kind of frame it is that our, my goal is to help pinpoint like the less than perfect areas of the site, right? Like what's causing a headache, what's breaking the conversions and Again, like the most important place I start is I tend to go to what page on the site is the most commonly landed on page. A lot of times, this is where you're pointing search traffic to, you know, more likely than not, it could be your home page, a landing page. This first experience is super, super important. So instead of like getting overwhelmed, thinking you have to like audit all of the pages of the site, you know, start with that home page. So if you're a travel site and you're trying to book a, you know, a hotel, you know, really make sure that the call to action is clear and that the user is not getting lost along the way. Their goal is to find a hotel to book, to stay. So keeping a call to action front and center, a clear value prop, and making sure that everything is above the fold. That's something that we've talked about in the past. 
but that's making sure that you prioritize the user's goal first so you're they're, they're less likely to get distracted to complete the task um, and they're also that's just good for um, like brand recognition so you're yeah. more likely to come back and not just be that unique one-time user but you start to build a little bit more brand loyalty because they had a good experience the first time they came and i think that's the number one thing that when i was you know watching other people audit sites and learning from other designers is that i i just didn't i guess understand the importance of that first experience and everyone always says like you know first impressions matter there's all these cliches that kind of justify it but I do think that people are inherently will, will be able to judge a website, its quality, um, in the first couple of seconds on the site. Um, and how professional and how fast, how clean, how easy it is to use is, be, is, is pretty easy to find out in a, in a, fair, in like a sh- couple of clicks. So, um, yeah, so once the performance piece is kind of flagged, I think the next step in the process is look at the most popular entry point. So that's typically where I start. Um, what about you, Mustafa? Would you start there or do you kind of have a different approach? <clears throat> no, I think that's a really good thing. I, I mean, sometimes, like from just at conferences when we've done these kind of more informal design reviews, that can be really hard because you've just been thrown an app. You don't understand its background. You don't understand its context. So what's really helpful is to, if you if they haven't been given this, if you're asked to design do a design review, what is the thing that the app, what's the thing that you want the design review to focus on? So if like just saying okay the design of this e-commerce site you know the logo could be better the colors could be nicer you know that's not really useful it's like having asking question okay what what is it the what would you want to achieve okay we want to increase engagement by x we want to um improve our sign up flow we want to make our uh, checkout for um guest checkout much more optimal then you could say okay i can do a design review based on that very focused very detailed thing and then obviously at the end of it you can bolt on the other stuff, the accessibility, the making sure that things are aligned, any kind of visual bugs, because it's really important that you have a key market to see what has changed and things that have been changed. So having those things, I think, is really important. Um, and so, yeah, and I think ha- having more guidance. So the best, the, the design reviews for me that have had the best outcome are the ones which were focused. So the Red Bull one I always think comes to mind because that's the thing that they're focusing on, improving engagement with their social media um, and they're sort of like their users so that people are commenting on stuff. So when focusing on that, so okay, what's the problem? Okay, people can't see the UI. It's not very clear. Maybe add labels next to the icons, maybe make the icons more prominent. Um, make it clear to the user that once they've watched a video, you want them to actually do something. So, you, so you're designing the flow to that um, leads a person down a specific path. Uh, or uh, what I'd like, when I was doing like a lot of e-commerce review stuff, um, in particular, guest checkout, because that's the thing which I've mostly done with e-commerce. Uh, I just basically took a credit card and started buying stuff. <laughs> and I Because that's the most accurate things, like how, how, how quick is this? And then I'll take their existing uh, checkout flow, and then I would say, all right, if I was to make, and then I do my own mocks, and I say, if I was to use guest checkout, how many steps? And they was like, it was crazy amounts of, be 30 steps to check out, because there's all this. 30 steps sign. as in like 30 clicks. Oh, yeah, pretty, pretty yeah, good. 30 clicks, yeah, yeah pretty, 30 clicks, um, to, just to get to like a thank you, your order's on its way, versus guest checkout, uh, there's a buy now button on a thing, it takes you to just where you can put in your um, delivery address, credit card details, and then what, the ones which are really good were the, the, the checkouts that say, oh, you don't have an account, would you like us to automatically set you up one? Because they set up a ghost account 
just to manage the entire order, but right. to convert that into a proper account so that you can actually go back and and that's great because if the whole checkout experience is really delightful, simple and clean, people are like, do you know what? I'm going to carry on buying stuff from here because that was really easy. Um, right. I totally, so, I totally agree. And so that is it, and so one of the other things again it's like in design reviews we often look for the bad stuff it's also nice like if you're the designer on the team but you're new to a product and you thought let me just do like you know a fresh eye design review it's also worth adding things which are done really well because it can be kind of um demoralizing if you've got like a 20 slide deck of these are the things that you're doing which are terrible and right. <laughs> as people think but you know you want to give um some sort of uplifters actually these are things which are doing really well maybe we should do more of this stuff because obviously we've, you know, um, I think that's a really good point. If you're doing this, I think that's different, right? If you're coming in as a consultant and you're working with a client versus like you're, you're a designer at a company and you're working with your peers, basically, if you're coming in as like a, a more in a consultant role as a design expert, I think it's important to your point to build up, like, what are you doing? Well, you know what? Oh, you guys are using auto suggest. That's awesome. One way yeah. we can take the checkout process even better is instead of using, you know, five steps, maybe we use a progress bar that shows it's 50% complete when the user just started the first page. So they're getting, they're feeling like they're farther along in the process than they are. That might be something that's easy to A-B test. Because I agree, like I think the number one mistake that junior designers will make when working with companies or they're consulting for the first time is you overwhelm people. And then you know who's immediately gonna be defensive to that? the product managers, the CTO, the front end engineers. So you're immediately, you want to build, you want to build the rapport and the trust by showing them almost like saying, look at all this great stuff you're doing. We should double down on that and take it one step forward. So when people are looking at you versus one of your competitors, they know exactly the experience that they're going to get. It's consistent and better, but I just like really wanted to kind of double down on that point. Cause I think it's so important not to just come across with like, here's 20 slides of everything you're doing wrong, you figure out the order and you prioritize it rather than like, here's three things that you're doing pretty well. And we can take it from a good experience to a best in class experience by doing these few minor changes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah, no, I think, no, that, that, uh, that yeah, you want to, because again, to convince someone to make design changes, often there's a cost that comes with these design things, like an engineering cost. And you want to make sure that you're building up a, a trust relationship because these things only happen with trust uh, some of the i remember one a colleague of mine years ago he said um often people in the room are really competent and can produce the stuff but the the, the biggest challenge for why things are not going well is like uh there's people management like the people not getting along this the, the team's not really gelled so like doing something that can at least uplift can actually help um, convince people to do the changes that you want to do. So I think it's just even from a human point of view, just point out the good things. And also it allows you to see like, sometimes there's design decisions that have to be made because there's certain technical constraints and being like cognizant of that rather than saying, well, you lot are all terrible and you can't, how, how dare you do something like this? <laughs> um, but just going back to say Jacob's uh, articles, like the first like, so 10 points, I think are really, really good. The second like point one is um, visibly system status. So basically it's like, letting the user know what's happening. So like the, the breadcrumbs or the sort of status of like a shopping thing that Ryan mentioned. Um, 
the one which it's like match between system and the real world. So it's like language. I sometimes we, we, we completely forget about the kind of language you should be using. But there's a lot of um, I've seen A/B tests done where you just simplify the term, the terminology on a site, or just be consistent. Especially if you have multiple products, making sure that the words that you use are, are all the same. Whether it's sign in, sign up, and there's so many websites online that give advice on the best type of phrases or terms that you should use like adjectives and whatever action-based things i know i've seen like studies um where if you refer to the the person like my stuff so it's like so the person's because you say my account rather than your account um that sometimes has a much more positive effect i would look that up though because i can't remember if that was like an old thing but there's just being like um cognizant of like the language you're using on call to actions just being as clear as possible uh there's no value in hiding stuff or hiding meaning. Um, when in doubt, go super simple. That's what I always say. <laughs> you know when they say it's like um, simplicity is like in design. It's not about making it look basic. It's about you want to help the largest number of people. The more complexity you add, like to language or whatever, you'll have that small percentage of people who are not hundred percent sure, and they'll just abandon the experience. And you just want to avoid that. You know what's funny is that immediately reminds me of when you, um, like you want to print your tickets at an airport. Yeah. And they give you like four different options. You could type in your, you know, your membership number. You could put in your card. You can yeah. scan your passport. So they're giving users as many options as possible because the last thing they want you to do is stand in line and ask them to print your tickets for you. Yeah. It's like the it's like the last last ditch effort. So I like like that example from airlines because I think they're doing exactly that. It's like how can we make a simple experience and also let as many people as possible achieve their goal? So that's just like a there's like constant reminders like in the every in everyday life that like people are constantly doing that. And it's funny because it's not just one airline. If you fly, I've fl you know flown dozens of airlines. Yeah. They all have more or less the same interface, and it's because you know options are leading towards success. And if the less people that skip that and go to line the company's making more money because their customer service is better they're getting more people you know bought sold and, and like and assisted so yeah i think those are those are really good points and then one, one thing i also just wanted to kind of circle back on and i wanted to get your point here is also like setting the scope because i feel like you know aud setting audit goals like what are you doing because i feel like you can technically audit a website or a digital experience or an app forever like there's no end in sight right yeah so like, how do you come up with the right scope to make sure that like you're committing to something that you can actually see impact over the next you know couple of weeks, maybe like in the next couple of sprints, versus like getting too much scope, everyone's overwhelmed, and, and you know ultimately nothing gets done. Yeah. So if you were if you were like assigned to come in as like a, either a new team member or a consultant, how would you look at like setting the right scope for a team? Like, what would you do to make sure that everyone's bought into what we're able to deliver? So I think if if you look at I suppose some of the things you're talking about so if it's like um, time to check out or like you focus yeah. on one specific thing or accessibility um, and so long as like the first thing you get is a small win like if like if you can improve conversions because the thing is it's like coming up with the things that is recommended to change is one thing but you want to make sure that you've got some kind of metric to check that to check to check <laughs> that the the um, thing that you've suggested has actually improved the site and if it hasn't it's, it's there's been a regression that you can at least maybe roll back uh so you you want to build confidence in as the designer in in the room 
uh, you want to make sure, and working with the engineers, okay, look, we're going to focus on just um, improving guest checkout, or we're going to focus on uh, the service design for like buying the, the, the airline ticket, or at least uh, getting the person through um, uh, handing in their luggage and getting their airline ticket. Focus on that one thing, and then also say, okay, what's a good metric? What's the do we have current numbers, and can we compare against to see if we've improved upon that? Um, I think, like with everything, small bite sized makes much more sense if you just base it on like focusing in on, on one thing. Because the problem is, if you look at the entire pile, it's like grains of sand. Um, if you look at the the huge desert, that's like so overwhelming. But if you focus on each grain of sand individually, then a, you have this sensation of accomplishment that oh, we've actually achieved something, um, and B, it, it's it's just much more focused. And as a thing, I think the the theme of my career in the last few years is when you look at say the design leaders who achieve so much, they all say the same thing: just focus, focus, focus. Like um, I think Jonathan Ive was like, maybe I've mentioned this where him and Steve Jobs were talking. Steve Jobs used to the bar to see if they were focused. Steve Jobs will say, um, "How many things did you say no to today?" and and no, not just no to just you should add an extra button. No, it's like things that you really want to do but can't because you're focused on this thing. And then that would be a good indication that you are really focused on this problem and you really believe in it. So I think, fo like as you mentioned, like just focusing on um, key things rather than overwhelming the team because then it just becomes this laundry list that you never get around to. Right. And also, it's like it's targeted. Um, it's probably like, you can do both. You might, as a design individually, do the whole thing, but you only drip feed the team <laughs> bits, like each section. So you do something on accessibility, something on performance, something on the checkout conversion, something on user sign up, onboarding, but you don't do everything all in You don't show everything all in one go. So you, this is like a continual thing, which I think that's an actually another interesting point. A design review is not just a one off document that just dies once everything is done. You should be continually uh, revising stuff. So maybe once a quarter focus on something that could be improved um like just to decrease the churn um like they call it uh technical debt but there's also ux debt if you don't face these things they just as you start developing more and more features it just accrues and you want to kind of avoid that as much as possible yeah no i think that's that's a great summary so just to kind of put a bow on what we've talked about so far so i think like you know getting cross-functional buy-in, getting people to like, you know, all get on the same page, keep it as like human as possible, right? Like set realistic expectations, emphasize the positive. So like find the good things in the site, you know, express any pain points or annoyances like tactfully, like do it with respect, do it with like some data to back it up. Um, something that I, I just want to throw in the mix here is avoid usability jargon. Not everyone is like studied human computer interaction. So, you know, kind of cut the buzzwords and really just stick to like making it as simple as possible. And then I think the summary of it all is just be as specific as you can. Yeah. Sorry, my kid just walked in and realized I was doing live stream. Yeah, no, I think, um, no, absolutely. I, I think, again, just going back, you want to you wanna just keep things as focused as possible. And like... I've always the question of always was how do you know if you're doing something well? It's like you wait, you just want one quick win, one easy win, and then when you, when you have that, then um, again it just builds confidence because a lot of these things are about team building and team dynamic for and sure. chemistry. Uh, for product design, unlike the graphic design world where it's more a single designer who's 
magicking this stuff out of thin air. The product design is about being in a team and you need the, the belief and confidence of the engineers that you're working with. Otherwise, if they don't believe <clears throat> what you're doing is valuable, then they won't really work on it or want to or prioritize it. And you want to make sure the things that you're creating are prioritized and build the confidence of yourself, of your skills within the team and to become the go-to person on like whatever it is you're working on. Yeah, I mean, that, that is like, if you didn't get anything from the episode, that's really it, right? It's just being a strong communicator and understanding your team's dynamic and trust, like that's really what it's going to come down to if you're going to move the needle. So you can go through and read a million different, you know, UX audit recommendations. Like we got very specific on some of the things we'd recommend. But, you know, at the end of the day, I really do think it's just like getting everyone on the same page, getting everyone. I think that one, I, I love the way you framed it of just like one quick win. I think that yeah. gets a lot of people pointed in the right direction. So rally around a metric. If that's conversions, let, let's improve conversion rate over the next month. Let's get it up one whole full percentage. And let's focus on every possible way we can make that easier and better so we get more conversions. If it's bounce rate, maybe it's like, you know, make the site faster. Cut, you know, cut all the walls of text, like compress images. Like there's a million things you can do to make sure people aren't leaving the site as well. So yeah, that's it. I mean, that's all we kind of wanted to cover from a high level, just like UX audit, like overview. I'm sure we can get more into the weeds here, but um, I think that's a good summary to start. Anything, anything before we sign off for this episode, Mustafa? No, we'll add links to like Jacob's one is a good, as a good starting point, if you've never really done design review before, is a good place to start. The tools you'll also link to just so that you can have something that you can hand to an engineer, say, okay, these are the technical things yeah. that's straight to fix. But yeah, and I think always remain focused. The goal is to get one quick win um, and build confidence in what the team's, you know, belief in UX. I think it was Jared Spools, like UX is one of those things where um, you can't convince a team or that to, to trust in the UX process. It's a bit like smoking. People know it's bad, but they just have to figure it out for themselves, but kind of like in reverse. <laughs> um, but like, if you can get a quick win, then you'll build the confidence and belief in the UX process, whether it's A-B testing or user B testing or whatever. Um, and then hopefully um, you'll achieve something really good. Yeah, love it. Thanks, Mustafa, for the expert <laughs> advice as always. Uh, this and was thank you too. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to be super proper. I've been hanging out with my, my English friends and everyone's so polite. Um, you should see what they say about you behind closed doors, mate. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's just never to your face, right? Um, yeah, that's it for today on Design Huddle. Uh, check us out on YouTube. We are posting a ton of extra content there. Um, and always, you can find us on anchor.fm. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend. Um, and we will catch you on the next episode. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Design Huddle. The opinions expressed are solely our own and do not express the views or opinions of our employer.